Strength and courage. Everybody say strength and courage. Courage Courage without arrogance. Humility without weakness. Everybody say that with me. Courage without arrogance. arrogance. Humility without weakness. As we survey the culture that we live in today, this is what's needed in the body of Christ. Courage without arrogance and a humility without weakness. Strength and courage. Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Everybody say, arise. Go. Everybody say, go. Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. It's about possessing the land. God's still about possession. The mission of the church is still about possession. Psalm 2, I'll give the nations to you, the uttermost parts of the earth, for your possession. That's the promise of the Father to the Son. That's being fulfilled through the Great Commission today. God's promise to his Son is being fulfilled through his church on planet earth. The nations of the earth, the inheritance of the Lord. It's still about possession. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the, river, the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I believe if we get to the place where we're actually living our lives on mission, nothing can stop us. To the the right or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In these just just four verses, he says three times, be strong and courageous. I think maybe the Lord thinks that Joshua is slow or something. (laughs) Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. There's two types of courage. There's a courage where you see somebody about to get hit by a train, and your adrenaline kicks in, your instinct kicks in, and you rush to try to open the door to get them out of the car before the train comes. It's momentary. And then the adrenaline wears off, and you think, what in the world was I thinking? That's one type of courage. And there is another type of courage that comes from veracity. It comes from a stronghold on the truth. 
And that's what this is talking about here, right? Meditate on, on, the, on the truth. Meditate upon the things that I've commanded. Observe these things. Meditate on them day and night. Do not let them depart uh, from your mouth. Keep my commandments. Get a hold, get a grasp on the truth, and from that truth will come a courage. Right? A great example of this is what, what the firefighters do week in and week out. They go into homes, they, they ride 15 minutes to a burning house, thinking in their mind of the process that they're going to go through when they get to that scene. They have been trained. Just about every single situation that, that, that they're going to encounter, they have trained for. They've encountered for burning cars. They've uh, encountered for high-rises and homes and all these different scenarios, all the different types of situations, the different stages of a fire. They know uh, about backdrafts and all that kind of stuff, that if you open the door in a house, the oxygen coming in will cause it to ignite, right? They've been trained through all these things. They, they have training, and they trust in that training, and so they, they go into situations that you and I ordinarily would not go into because they have a firm hold on some truth. They've got some training that gives them courage. When we get a hold of the Word of God, when we meditate upon it, when, like it says in Hebrews chapter 5, we have our senses exercised in the Word of God to discern good and evil. Right? We're trained. We have our minds trained in God's Word. It gives us a courage. If you spend time in God's Word, it will make you courageous. Right? If you're a person who's meditating on the Word of God, it will transform you. It will cause the Spirit of God to activate on the inside of you in a supernatural way. And church, we need this today. I don't know if you have recognized it or not. We live in a world that is going insane. We live in a culture that is absurd. We do. We, we, we live in a culture today where there are people trying to indoctrinate us to believe, trying to indoctrinate our children to believe that men can have babies. It is utterly absurd. The gender confusion that is being propagated it is a doctrine of demons, and it is absurd. It's being taught in our schools. If you don't understand the fact that there is an agenda to advance this nonsense of perversion, of wickedness, if you don't understand that, you're living in a cave somewhere without electricity, running water, or internet. Amen. If you don't understand that, let me go back to my office with you after church and I will show it to you. They are, they are taking it into libraries, they are taking it into the schoolhouses, and they are doing their best to indoctrinate our children. Yes. You know what we need? We need some parents with courage. A moral veracity, a moral hold on God's truth that makes them courageous enough to raise their children to go against the grain. We need parents with courage. I can't deal with everything that's going on out there, but I can deal with what goes on here in our church. And let me encourage our parents. Listen, you have a responsibility to train your children. It is not up for them to figure out who they are. We have a moral obligation from Almighty God to tell them 
who they are, how they are crafted in the likeness of God, how God has shaped them, how God has an eternal plan for their life from the foundation of the world, that there were words spoken over them, that there's a plan written in their hearts, as Ecclesiastes said, that is divinely marked and laid out. We have an obligation to do that. If you doubt that, let me read you one of about 200 scriptures. And if you want, I can read 200 of them. It will just be here till Memorial Day if you want. But let me just read a few of these. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have an obligation to train our, our, our young boys to grow to be men and our young ladies to grow to be women. That is a responsibility for us as Christian parents. It's nonsense that's out there. Let them find out who they want to be. Let them discuss. Okay, let them, here's what, we're, here's what we're doing. If that's our doctrine and philosophy of raising children, here's what we're doing. Let them trust their wicked heart to define their, their, their eternal destiny. Right? Because that, that's ultimately what's on the inside of every single one of us. And we, if we are left to our own devices, we will destroy ourselves. We have an obligation to train our children. Isaiah 45, uh, 44, verse 13 says, All of your children shall be taught by the Lord, and shall, shall be the pe- I'm sorry, and great shall be the peace of your children. If we teach our kids the ways of the Lord, they will have peace. We are looking at a generation that doesn't understand the ways of the Lord, and they are in torment. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be an ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 6 through 7, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Right there it gives us four times, four opportunities as parents or grandparents when we can train our kids. Morning time. Travel time, dinner time, and bedtime. Parents, if you would capitalize on those four things every day, five minutes to train your kids in the morning time, when you get them up out of the bed at dinner time, when they're eating breakfast, when they're eating lunch, when they're eating dinner, talk about the things of the Lord with them. Travel time, when you're driving them to school, when you're driving them to a vacation, when you're driving them to the park, when you're driving them to church, teach the things of the Lord to them. And bedtime. Four opportunities that we have that we squander opportunities to disciple our kids, right? Come on, you're preaching good to this morning, Pastor. I need to go, I'm I'm, I'm gonna have to go hire a new amen section if y'all don't step it up. Correct your son, Proverbs 29, 17 says, correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. There are many, many more. I'm not going to read them all to you. But we have a moral obligation as parents to raise our children. They don't belong to you. we got to get that through our heads. 
My children do not belong to me. Noah, Nathan, Bethan, and Jensen are on loan from the Lord. I am a steward, and I have responsibility to properly steward their lives, to guide them towards the plans and purposes that God has ordained for them. Amen? Parents, we got to step up our game. Get your kids to the house of the Lord. If you have a teenager that you're not bringing to church, you're letting them stay home, you are neglecting your responsibility as a parent. It needs to be said. It needs to be said in every church in America. You are neglecting your children and their spiritual responsibility that you have towards them if you're letting them stay home when church is going on. If they live in your house, my, I have an 18-year-old that's a man today, and as long as he lives under my roof, he will show up at church when the doors are open, period. No question marks. Ever. Ever. We're leaving Thursday for vacation. Next Sunday, we will be in a church in South Carolina, Sunday morning, doing something that we rarely ever get to do, sit together as a family on a pew, on my vacation. Because if it's Sunday in the Hayes house, we go to church. We need to stop making idols of travel ball, of basketball, of volleyball, of softball, of baseball, of football, of track. We need to stop putting those things before the house of the Lord. My, my kids are great athletes. They're good athletes. They're, they're all as tall, except for Jensen, who's still growing. They're all as tall or taller than me now. They're good basketball players. They, at one point or another, all three of them have believed that they're going to be in the NBA one day. Guess what? I am not going to sacrifice their spiritual destiny for a temporal, worthless sporting event. Why are we doing that with our kids? Why are we making gods out of athletes? Why are we, we making idols out of rock stars and movie stars and people of this world? Why are we doing that to this generation? I'm talking about the church folks. We, we have our kids in a basketball program that is Christ-centered. They play in, in, in games and tournaments all winter long. I think they played like 40 basketball games. Guess what? They didn't miss church to do it. They remained on the worship team through basketball season. They served in the house of the Lord. My kids come up here every week. They paint. They take out trash. They mow this church yard. They serve in the house of the Lord. That's not because I'm the pastor. When I resign one day as this, a pastor of this church, my, I, and I, as, if I still have kids in my home, they will still be serving in the house of the Lord the way they serve today. It's the way that Christian parents should raise their children. Not pastors, but Christian parents. Raise your children to love the house of the Lord. Raise your children to love the work of God. Lo raise your children to love the people of God. Stop uh, slandering your brothers and sisters. Stop slandering your pastor in front of your children. Be bold and raise your children to love the people of God. Leadership in the house of God. Missionaries, pastors, evangelists. Let them esteem them. Let them look at them as heroes and the servants of the Lord. The Sunday school teachers, you need to, you need to, you need to thank God for Perla in front of your kids. Amen. You need to thank God for those teachers in those classrooms. You need to praise those teachers on the way home and tell your kids how awesome those teachers are so that they will look up to them, that they will esteem them. Amen? What's wrong with America? Christian parents have neglected their kids. We have a responsibility. Listen, I want to say this. I'm way off my notes. I may not go back to my notes today, that's all right. Listen. 
We need to get a better perspective. Here's the average Christian's perspective. America's going to hell. Our culture is just going to fall apart. Politics are going to continue on this path, and economy is going to continue on this path, and the racial division is going to continue on this path, and everything is just going to fall apart, and sexual depravity is going to take our nation over and take a generation over. We need to get a better perspective. Are we called to advance the kingdom or not? Do we believe the gospel works or not? then why are we giving this nation over to to the world? Why are we giving this nation over to the enemy? Do we believe that part where it says that nothing shall be able to stand against us, that I am with you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I am with you to the very end? Do we believe that part? Then we need to get about the mission that God's called us to, and that's advancing the kingdom of God. Amen. Pastor, you, need to be, you, you should be a little more tolerant. Tolerance is the doctrine of demons. This is what Aristotle said. He said, tolerance and apathy are the last virtues of a dying society. What, what doctrine is being preached in America today? Tolerance. Tolerance. America is a, deci- a dying society. And we are, we're seeing it. We're seeing all kinds of sexual perversion, all kinds of deviancy, all kinds of uh, moral decay and rot in America and in the church. A lot of compromise, a lot lot of half-heartedness in the church. But you're looking at a pastor that's not ready to concede defeat. I'm ready to take some ground. I'm ready to push back darkness. I'm ready to advance into schoolhouses. I'm ready to advance into the community. I'm ready to go into the drug houses. I'm ready to advance on a community. I believe that God's going to build a mega church all around this city. That, that, and it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about return. But I believe that God is going to raise up a mighty army here in Louisville that's going to overtake this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to be on the streets like never before. There's going to be a mighty army that's going to go to the, the streets preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, rescuing the drug addicted, rescuing the homeless, rescuing children out of, out of the perversions of the schools. I believe that God is going to raise an army up that's going to do a great work in these last days. I am not ready to concede defeat. I am not ready to tolerate the work of the enemy. I'm not ready to tolerate homosexuality. I'm not ready to tolerate sexual deviancy. I'm not ready to tolerate gender confusion. I'm not ready to tolerate abortion, the murder, the slaughter of babies as birth control. It's insane. It's insanity, and I'm not ready to tolerate it. Abortion as birth control is insanity. And that's what they want. It's what the demons want. And they always point, well, well, what about cases of rape, and what about this? Out of 10,000 cases of uh, instances of abortion, less than one is because of a rape. Less than one out of 10,000 is, is because a mother's life is in jeopardy if she doesn't have that abortion. But they go to it over and over and over again to protect abortion as birth control, as an easy way out of sexual deviancy. It's insane. 
It's not normal. You will never convince me of it. I'll say that when they put, if they threaten to put me in jail. If they put me in jail, I'll keep saying it in the jail. I won't back down from it. We need a church that won't back down. We, we need a church with some strength and courage, not tolerance. Tolerance is the ability and willingness to tolerate something, in particular the existence of opinions or behaviors that someone does not necessarily agree with. I'm not ready to do that. Amen. Tolerance is the capacity to endure continued subjection to something, especially a drug, transplant, antigen, or environmental conditions without adverse reaction. I'm not ready to do that. There are some things that we just should, should not tolerate. If we find out that a leader is corrupt, should we tolerate that corruption? What are we going to tolerate? What are we, church, willing to tolerate? Are we willing to tolerate corruption? Are we willing to tolerate perversion? Are we willing to tolerate doctrines of demons? Are we willing to tolerate them brainwashing and indoctrinating our children in the schoolhouses? Tolerance is the doctrine of demons. G.K. Chesterton, he was a, he's a, actually a Catholic theologian. He said this tolerance is the virtue of a man without convictions. Get a hold of the truth, Joshua. Get a conviction. Get a hold of my commandments. Get a hold of my word. Meditate on it day and night. Do not turn from it to the left or right. Get some convictions, church. Get a hold of the word of God and don't depart from it. Don't compromise your convictions, your biblical convictions, not your man-made convictions, not your religious traditions, but the word of God. Do not compromise Amen. a conviction based in God's word. Bishop Charles Chanel said this. He said, one, one must never tolerate evil, for first evil is tolerated, then it is embraced, then it's held as being good, and then it becomes unlawful to do what is actually good. Sound familiar? We're on the verge of that. Evil preaches tolerance until it is dominant, then it tries to silence good. There's a school district in Arizona that just voted, they just moved to prohibit volunteers from a, Christian, a local Christian university serving in their school. The principal of this school, who identifies with all of the terminology that you go and see this, this, uh, this gal's identity, her presentation of herself, identifies as a lesbian, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all right there on the school website. And her statement is, we cannot tolerate these students coming into our school campuses because Christianity is a threat to our society. That's, not, that, that's one school district in Arizona, but that, that is it's not unique to that school district. Similar measures are being taken all across the United States of America. Dr. D. James Kennedy said tolerance is the last value or virtue of a depraved society. 
when you have an immoral society that has blatantly, proudly violated all of the commandments of God, there's one last virtue they insist upon, and that is tolerance for their immorality. John Bevere said this. He said, Jesus warns the church in Thyatira against tolerance, which was leading them into immorality and idolatry. And that's what, the, that's what happens. When the church becomes tolerant, we are led into idolatry and immorality. The, the, the two could not be more different. I'm sorry, going back up in my quote here. Our, our culture often confuses love and tolerance. The two of these are, could not be more different. Love seeks the other person's good. Tolerance seeks to be thought of as, as good in, in another person's eyes. Love comes from fearing God. Tolerance comes from fearing man. Nowhere in Scripture is tolerance held up as a virtue. Just a reminder, this, and, and he says here, this is just a reminder to anchor your values in God's word not in the world's broken system. So we're not supposed to tolerate. What, what are we supposed to do? Stand. Stand. What does that look like? Because I'll, I'll, be, I'll be frank with you, a lot of times we get it wrong as Christians. Protesting, arguing, getting caught up in conflicts. There have been even sometimes, this is definitely not the way to go in the name of Christianity, blowing clinics, abortion clinics up, et cetera, et cetera. It's not the way of Christ. That doesn't fit what Jesus said, the scriptures say, if at all possible, live with, if all possible, live with peace with all men. The call to be strong and courageous is not a call to arrogance. It's not a call to be confrontational for the sake of confrontation. We said it earlier, it's, it's courage without arrogance that we need. Humility without weakness. This is what we're looking for in strength and courage. This is what I believe God wants us to have, a humility with a confidence of who we are in Christ. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Church, I, I, I want to say this, whether you like it or not, you have an assignment to the world. The Great Commission is for all of us. In Acts 1 and 8, that great commission is given to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's not for some special group of believers. That, that is for all of us. That's our assignment. The great commission is our assignment. I, I want to, as, as we wrap up here, I want, I want to put this great commission side by side with the commission of Joshua. The commission to go in, to lead the people of God into the promised land to possess the land. Because I believe it's a great shadow, it's a great type. The charge that God gives to Joshua is a great picture of the charge that he's given to us as a church. It's a great example for us. 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus, and I, and I, I read this scripture, I don't know how many times, probably a dozen times a year in this sanctuary. But church, we, we need to understand our assignment. Amen. If you haven't already, memorize this. This needs to be burned in our minds and burned in our hearts and burned into our spirits. This is our assignment. This is our job assignment. This is why we exist on planet Earth, to fulfill this commission. No, no other reason. If you think that's going to make me preach faster, you're wrong. <laughs> Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Can't you see the parallels there? To what God spoke to Joshua? This is Pentecost Sunday. This is a Sunday where we commemorate what God did some 2,000 years ago, pouring his spirit out in that upper room. Why did the Holy Spirit come to his church? Here, here's another way we get What's the sign of, of the infilling of God's spirit? You get all kinds of various answers. We, I, I was with a group of brothers, and they were given the, the different answers that the different denominations would give in response to that question. What's the sign of the, uh, the infilling of God's spirit? Some groups would say love. Some would say tongues. You, you don't have it if you don't have tongues. You know what the real sign of the coming of God's Spirit in your heart is? Power. Power. When the infilling of God's Spirit comes, power. Acts 1 and 8, you shall have power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witness. It's a commissioning power. It's a witnessing power. It's a compelling power on the inside of us that propels us out to the world to shine as light, to, to, to have savor as salt on planet Earth. That's the real purpose of the Holy Spirit. It's not so that we could speak in tongues and get goosebumps. It's not so that we could shout in church on Sunday morning. It's not so that we could run the aisles. It's not so that we could dance. The infilling of the Holy Spirit comes that we would be witnesses that would empower us, mere mortals, mere human beings, the Spirit of God coming on the inside of us so that the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit would be present with us when we declare this gospel. Church, I want to tell you that the answer is not protesting, it's not picketing, it's not arguing, it's not fighting, it is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The answer is not the White House, the answer is the church house, the answer is not politics, the answer is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There's no government. There is no institute that has more authority than the church of Jesus Christ. Why do we think that the White House, why do we think that the Congress, why do we think that the Senate, why do we think that the State House has more power than the upper room? Why do we think that there's any authority over the authority of Jesus Christ? Why do we look to corrupt, mortal, vile men to save us? That is not the answer 
If you want to see change, if you want to see a turnaround in this nation, start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be about the Great Commission. I want to tell you the Great Commission is not mission impossible. It is mission inevitable. It is coming to pass. His kingdom is being established on planet Earth. The church is advancing. The gospel is being preached. Lives are being changed and transformed. Every one of us sitting in this room are proof of that today. The gospel works. The mission of the church, it works. The purpose of God in our life, it is working. His kingdom is being established in the planet, not through politics, not through any of these means, not through school boards. Through the church. The church is the answer. It's time for the church to arise and go. The command to Joshua, arise, go, and possess, is the command to the church, go and preach the gospel to the nations. That's what Jesus has called us to. We lack strength. We lack strength. You know why we lack strength? We lack joy. Where does our strength come from? The joy of the Lord is our strength. How many of you would want to go and die the, the death that, that Christ died upon the cross? There was a point when he wanted to walk away from that. I don't, I don't think the real test was, was, was the cross. I think the real test was Gethsemane. He wrestled with the call of God to the cross. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But he came back to nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Why did Jesus endure the cross? Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? I believe it's twofold. Yes, you and I. Yes, one purpose was that he would redeem many brethren back to the Father. That he would save many through his death on the cross. Yes, that was one great source of joy for him. Do you know what the second one was? The joy of pleasing the Father. The joy of submitting to his will. church has no joy because we are going after this world, we're going after all the carnal pleasures, all of the finances, all, all the things. When our joy in life becomes the salvation of our brothers and the pleasure of our Father, we will live our lives on mission. This is not the okay commission. It's not a mediocre commission. It's, it's a great commission. The great commission reaches the nations. If, if the great commission is true, then we're not doing enough. If, if the great commission is the real deal, then our budgets aren't big enough, our plans aren't big enough, our strategies aren't big enough, our attempts aren't big enough, our vision is not big enough. 
Let me read through Joshua chapter 1 again one more time. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Imagine this as God speaking to us, commissioning us. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Isn't that the promise that he gives right there in the Great Commission? Matthew 20, I will never leave you or forsake you. For to this people you should divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written. And if we're not meditating in God's word, how can we teach the nations his word? For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and have good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Church, I want, with everything in me, to provoke every single one of you to go all in on the Great Commission. You know why we're whooped? Because we are never going to be the full-time devil being half-time Christians. We got kids programs that need to be run. We got youth programs that need to be run. We got outreaches to do. We got discipleship to do. I've got vision in my mind that it, 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 it's, Rachel had a dream about it. It was last night, wasn't it? You had that dream of this, this, there was an airplane. I was trying to land in Louisville and it was so big that it, it, there wasn't, it wasn't space to land the airplane. That, that's the way my vision is. I, I believe that Return Church is a church that's going to impact this entire city. I believe we're going to plant churches all over this town. We're going to send out young pastors and young couples out all over this city planting churches. We're going to send them out across America. We're going to send them out to the nations in my time here. I believe that we're going to raise up a, a, a after-school programs for teenagers, maybe even a school here where we're educating kids with Christian education, laying the foundation of the Word of God, a ministry training right here in our, in our school, I believe in our church. I believe we're going to see these things things come to pass. Some of y'all sitting here saying, well, the hell, just our, our nation's going to hell in a handbasket. Nothing we can do about it. Baloney. Baloney. Show up on Wednesday night and do something about it. Show up on Saturday morning and go knock doors with us and do something about it. Go invite your neighbor to come to church and do something about it. Go over and serve your neighbor who's in need and do something about it. Go to the old folks' homes and do something about it. Get on a van with, with Brother Bobby and do something about it. Go let, Help us buy another van and drive that van so we can go to more places. Go with Brother Ted into the jails. Let's do something about it. Get on a ministry team. 
There's all kinds of places around here you can plug in. We got a clothes closet here every single Monday. We got men's Bible studies. Go bring all your neighbors, all your men neighbors to Brother Bobby's Saturday morning Bible study. Go to the Manichees over on Saturday morning. Take somebody with you. What are we doing about it? That assignment's not for professionals. It's not for seminarians. It's not by people, for people with doctorates by their names. It's not by trained preachers. It's for all of us. It's the Great Commission, and it's for every one of us. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility to help fulfill that. Get on mission. Come train in our sound booth. Come, if you're, if you're a, hide, a, a musician in hiding, come out of the, the pews. We need a bass player. We need drummers. We need alternates. We need singers. I'm trying to raise them up in my house as quick as I can. I need more help. What are we doing for the gospel? Youth sports, youth leagues, concerts. I mean, what, what are we doing with our lives? How many, how, how many Netflix binges can you go on? How long can you work three jobs? What are we doing with our lives? Are we fulfilling the Great Commission? Are we fulfilling this assignment? Get off Facebook, quit complaining about Biden or Trump or whoever you're mad at. Post some scripture. Somebody said it this way. Stop complaining about the darkness. Turn the light on. Yeah, it's dark. Turn the light on. Let's do something about it. I'm done. There, there's a law on the books in the state of Indiana. It's called the release time law. What it says is that churches can set up programs that the children can get out of school during school hours and come and learn the word of God. You know what we need? Here's the only thing we need some volunteers. Somebody that would get a burden to say, I'm tired of what's going on in our schools. I'm going to stop complaining about it. I'm going to be about it. Brother Bobby, Brother Alvin, they're driving a van. I want that whole, I would love to have a fleet of vans parked out here. Tommy Barnett built mega churches in Idaho and Arizona. In his lifetime, he built two churches with more than 5,000 people in it. You know how he did it? I was talking to Brother Bill Royce. He's, he's a member of our church. I was talking to Brother Bill. Bill used to be a part of the Idaho church. He said they had 49 van routes. How do you reach 5,000 people with a God? You run 49 van routes. Let's, let's, let's watch the news and complain about all the crime. Or maybe let's get up on Saturday morning and go with, with Brother Ted and Sister Barbara. Where's our team that goes in? If you're, if you're a part of that team, I know, see, I don't see Norman and Jasmine. They're teaching in the back. If you go into the jails, I want you to stand. If you go on that team, Brother Ted, this is Brother Ted and, and Barbara. Here's our altar call right now. If, if, if you want to get plugged in, plug in with Brother Ted. I think there's at least four couples that are going in there right now. Norman was telling me the testimonies. Absolutely amazing. 
and what God's doing in our jails, Clark and Floyd. What are we going to do? Church, arise. Arise and go. It's time to be savory. Because if the salt's lost its savor, then what is it good for? What does the light do? Complain? Nope, it just shines. I'm going to tell you, it, it, it's just as simple as that. If we would just live a Christian life and shine for Jesus, we will transform a community. Period. If we'll just do what's in the book, if we'll just get a hold of it with veracity, say, I'm not turning from this from, to the left or to the right, I'm going to live in this way. I'm going to walk in this. I'm going to meditate on it day and night. And I'm not departing from it. If we would do that, this church would be full on Sunday morning. And then we'd start another service and fill it up again and again. If we could do it, I'll preach six times a Sunday. If we have to, I'll start doing it on Saturday. What if we had church every night? Because different people are coming every night. I'm going to tell you what, what's holding us back? I'll tell you what, it's disobedience to the Great Commission, period. Slackness. Period. Period. Church, let's stand. We were were watching um, Jesus Revolution in here. And I know I am driving our social media team mad. I'm supposed to stay up there in my box. (laughs) We were watching that movie on Friday night. And that hippie sat across the table from Chuck Smith in this movie. And he asked him the question, what will it take for Chuck Smith to get desperate? And the hippie said, your, your church is empty. What will it take to make you desperate? There was a, just a, the, the one big picture out of that movie that I saw, the church was open. Right? Lonnie Frisbee, the character in that movie, he said to, to Chuck, we don't come to your church because the doors are closed to us. friend, new acquaintance, a friend of mine, his name is Richard Hilton. He was saved during that movement, but on the East Coast. And he, he became a part of a ministry team, and he, he didn't cut his hippie haircut. And they would show up at churches, and the churches would say, we'll let your ministry team come in, but he can't come with them. I, w- I want to say this. I'm glad you're here. I don't care where you came from, I don't care where you slept last night. I don't care if you did drugs yesterday. I don't care if you got drunk this week. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. These doors are open to you. I don't care if you're rich or poor. I don't care if you're a carpenter or an attorney. We'll even let attorneys come. 
I don't care who you are. You're welcome. This is God's house. There's a seat at the table for you. Amen. Whosoever will, let him come. You can wear a suit and get in the door. You can wear your shorts and flip-flops and come through the door. This is a place that is open. You're welcome. Amen. We love you. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to dismiss, but if you don't know Jesus, come see me. I would love to lead you into a relationship with Jesus. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. If you don't know him, come see me. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, make us desperate. Shake us. Shake us. Give us a passion for the Great Commission. Give us a passion for souls, a burden to win the lost, to reach people at all costs. We will not be concerned about how much it costs us. We won't be concerned about our safety. Lord, just give us reckless abandon for the mission of God. I thank you for it. I give you praise for it. In Jesus' name. I'm, I'm going to send you out with this. I, I love this part of that, that verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When it says that it, you will have power, you know what the power is for? It says to be witnesses, but in the original language, to be martyrs. That doesn't mean you're just running out there to die. It means you're living in a way where you're not afraid of it. And until you're not afraid to die, you're never really truly living. So the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the capacity to really live, period. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. If you don't know Jesus, if you need ministry, come down to this altar. I'm going to wait here.